Snap Wilson, quarterback draw on third and 15. 20, 15, 10, oh, he's going to go! Five, touchdown, Cougars! Down the lane, back to Yo. Yo on the arc, shoots a three, and scores it. Yoni Childs for three! To the right, putting a shot on goal, it is a goal for Elise Blake! This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. And now, here's Greg Rubel. Good Wednesday evening, Cougar Nation. Welcome back inside Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building for Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, our weekly hour of Cougar conversations with BYU sports personalities past and present. My name is Greg Rubel. Great to have you with us coast to coast on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, and over the air in northern Utah on 107.9 FM and 89.1 FM HD2. We are streaming live at BYUradio.org and on the BYU Radio app. You can also hear the show on demand by subscribing to our Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast or by going to the show page at BYUradio.org where you can find every episode archived over the years. Tonight, I talk with one of BYU's best ever in women's volleyball and one of the Cougs' best ever in men's basketball. As tonight, we visit with All-American Mary Lake and former BYU All-Conference Hoopster, 13-year NBA veteran Fred Roberts. My interview with Fred is tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU alumni. But we begin tonight with a native of Palm Springs who left the heat of the low desert for the cool of the mountain air. And since arriving in Provo, Mary Lake has helped BYU women's volleyball to one of the most dominant set stretches of success in program history. As the Cougars starting libero since her freshman year, Mary has racked up almost 1,500 career digs. She's been named back-to-back WCC Defensive Player of the Year, back-to-back All-Conference First Teamer, and in 2018, after helping BYU to the NCAA Final Four, she was named an ABCA Second Team All-American. Her vibrant personality and athletic exploits have made her a BYU fan favorite, and it is my pleasure to welcome in Mary Lake into Studio 2, where she joins me behind the mic. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you here. Um, how long did you live in the desert? Well, I was there from womb until <laughs> I went to college early when I was 17. And so 17 years, I was used to the heat and the sweating. And then I came to the cold and was in a little bit of a shock, but grew up there. Did you, well, I guess you would, you didn't know anything else. Did you learn to love the excessive heat? Because whenever people, whenever I tell folks that I go to Palm Springs or Palm Desert in this case every year, especially in the summer, they think I'm nuts, but I love the heat down there. Yeah, it wasn't learned. I just came out. I still love the heat. Oh my goodness. Sun is what I'm meant to be. And when my skin gets pale, it looks green. And so I, <laughs> I say that I need the heat all year round, but it's my favorite. But I also love Utah and it's great. <laughs> okay. Um, your family, uh, siblings, what size families you grew up in? I am the youngest of six, and on my side where everyone is from Palm Springs, I was the youngest grandbaby. So if I seem really spoiled or like a brat, (laughs) that's probably why. But there are four girls and two boys, and my family is my best friends. So, Did you play other sports uh, growing up, and when did you gravitate toward volleyball? I played soccer, and I always joke that I should have stayed with soccer. (laughs) No, that's a joke. I love volleyball. Um, I branched off when I was about... 12 or 13 and funny thing is that I branched off because my dad didn't want me to tear my ACL playing that soccer happens in soccer <laughs> and then like four years later and we're gonna get to that high yeah. school of course that happens and so I was a soccer girl but volleyball was my number one do you have any close friends on the current BYU women's soccer team oh well I didn't know anyone coming in because there was not a lot of people from where I'm from but the soccer team and the volleyball team is pretty tight and they're really fun group of girls. We share locker rooms. So we like jam out to the same music sometimes. And the soccer girls are really down to earth. So are you close with anybody on the team right now? Um, or kind of they're all buddies, all buddies. I love Cassidy Smith. Mm. I was her roommate for a while. Oh, yeah? I'm blinking out because I'm on the radio. So mm-hmm. I can't think of anything. Cass but, is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter got to play a year or so of soccer with Cass at Lone Peak. Uh, she was one of the triplets. She's yeah. such a yeah. special girl. Yeah. Um, club and high school volleyball had you on a lot of teams radar, I would think. Uh, was BYU always going to have an inside track for you? Um, I like to play it cool and say no, but of course. <laughs> <laughs> my family's a BYU family and I tried to kid myself and saying I was keeping my options open, but I think they knew that I loved it here and I knew that I loved it here. So did you, did you entertain other discussions, take other visits or, um, yeah, some other schools, but it was interesting going to the other schools and talking to the team. It like just affirmed my feelings of, Oh my gosh, I need to be at BYU. Get me off of this campus. (laughs) 
you you referenced this already, but you after a really successful junior year in high school, um, and it was uh, it's the, it's the equivalent of a state championship, I guess, in the section, right? CIF. Yeah, it was. So you guys essentially won state, um, and you're feeling pretty good going into your senior year, and then uh, a really weird kind of bad thing happens, right? Yeah, just weird. That's a sad <laughs> word. It was traumatizing and destructive. But I, so in high school, I was a setter, so I would hit and set. And I was hitting a ball from the back row. I lunged forward. My foot planted weird. My knee gave in and I felt a crunch. And that's how I describe it. I just like. And as soon as that happened, I knew what it was and was went through all the five stages of grief. And here I am still going through them. I'm just kidding. Once that 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 took care of your senior season, like that was not going to happen now. Yeah, no, no, nothing. They actually um, let me go in for senior night and I was like in a brace in my Knee was torn, and they let me serve a ball, which was really nice. But I didn't play my last year. So in one of the soccer games I called this year, BYU played at St. Mary's, and they had a girl who had an ACL, and they brought her out for the opening kick in her brace. She touched the ball, came off the field, and that was it. Yeah, that's yeah. It was special, but sad that I couldn't play last year. But were you already were you already planning to make that last year kind of a half year, graduate early and get to BYU? I was already planning that, but I wasn't planning on coming and not being able to play. So I called the coaches, and they were the ones who were actually so calming. They were like, "We're not worried. You shouldn't be worried. You'll get better, and it'll be fine." And so they were really great with me and with my injury. So, at what stage had you already committed to BYU? Then when? As a junior? Um, Before your junior year? Really early? How was it? Middle of my sophomore year. Okay. You so know. I was one of the earlier, but it was just because I, I knew and BYU was really great to me. So so how was it uh, breaking the ACL news then to your coaches at BYU, which you probably did? Oh, yeah. So I told them and they were they were the ones who were really awesome. And I was crying and I was like, I'm so sorry if you don't want me. I understand. <laughs> like, you don't need to take me. But they were like, why are you freaking out? Shut up. Like, you're fine. And... They were really just reassuring. So they were, don't sweat it. We'll figure you out. Yeah. Not shut up. I shouldn't say that. That's a bad word. <laughs> so you got to BYU, uh, well, early, I guess, would put you in a winter semester then, wouldn't it? Yep. And But you had to come and watch and rehab. Yes. Not a ton of fun. Not a ton of fun. Scared out of my mind. I was cold, not used to not seeing <laughs> the sun every day. But it was really good because we have some great medical support here at BYU and that was one of the things is my knee got better a lot faster because I was up here and I got to watch practice every day and miss volleyball and really want to be out there on the court and so it kind of inspired me and made me realize how much I liked volleyball. Did they make you still feel a part of the team even though you were kind of on the sidelines at that time? Oh my gosh the freshmen who were there at that time um, Emily Lewis, Kiani, Moyai, the Haddock twins, Ronnie they were my best friends and they just took me in. Emily Lewis is just a gather. And so they just took me in. And Was McKenna also a freshman in that same class or not? No, she's my she's my class. But since I came. Oh, that's right. Early. She wasn't earlier. until the fall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got you. Right. And right, so right. they just took me in and were my moms. And then before long, when, when did the China trip fall? Was that was that spring of that year? Yeah, I think it was right. Yeah. A, a late April, maybe. It was like kind of my first time playing volleyball, and they threw me in there, which was good. But scary. and you were still just coming back. Like you were, that was pretty close. Maybe six months, maybe at that point. Yeah. yeah. And I was even surprised that my knee was coming back, and so I got thrown in in China in a new country, a new <laughs> sport, basically, because I it had been so long since I played. But it was good because I got to know the girls. I got some team chemistry. I got to eat some interesting food. China was great, but. That's pretty good. That's actually a pretty neat way to come in. Then is to have that experience to go travel with your team. Uh, it's a good way to bond, isn't it? Yeah, it was really <laughs> bonding because we went through it all. We experienced some like these beautiful parts of China, and then these like not scary parts, but just culture shock things. And we had each other, and we had our coaches, and we were together for two weeks. And it was it was special, and I'm really grateful that they let me go. Craziest thing you ate or did in China? <laughs> uh, just one. We. Ate a lot. There was a lot of different fish parts. Maybe some parts. Yeah, I don't want to say <laughs> anything inappropriate on radio, but yeah, just a lot of fish, which okay. was good. And then culturally, scenery and uh, kind of landmarks, pretty amazing. Oh, beautiful! Yeah. Hong Kong is amazing, and some amazing parts of Shanghai and Nanjing and Beijing. I just like, when do you get to go to China? Never. <laughs> so this was all part of your rehab process relatively early in it. And you do work hard. You do get cleared. And then you're laid up again. So after you rehab the ACL, then comes the meniscus tear. Were you feeling a little snake bit at this point? Oh, I was so angry. Not angry. It's funny because I tore my meniscus. I think it just kind of retore a little bit. But I 
was literally passing a free ball to warm up for a free play, just like a practice. And I passed a free ball and it tore. And they were like, what were you doing? Were you doing anything dangerous? And I was like, no, I was doing nothing. I was... (laughs) Barely Something I've done stand- a million yeah, times. Yeah, I was barely yeah. standing up. And yeah. so it was just frustrating because I was a little nervous for the freshman season. I knew that, like, they wanted me to play and I wanted to play. And so I was kind of like, well, if this is how it's going to be, it's how it's going to be. And I'm just going to go in there and do my best. But So you had a small procedure then, right? Yeah. I was out for like a month, which and- was a blessing that it was only a month. And then the season begins and you're playing with a knee brace. Yeah. Was it weird for you to have something there inhibiting your I don't know, quote unquote freedom did you feel less free on the on the floor because of it I back then I didn't think so because I it made me feel good and stable and I'm really grateful for my knee brace but looking back now that I don't have it on I'm like oh my goodness I was a robot and I had this big clunk <laughs> of metal on me but in the moment no I was just kind of like thank goodness this thing is here so I don't have to worry how long did you have that with you uh all of first freshman year you played the whole season with it yeah yeah and probably into spring of that continuing year you got pretty close probably became you know pretty familiar with it yeah i i left my sweat mark on it it was pretty (laughs) gross by the end of the year did it have a name no yes i'm lying um it did but that's past me i mentioned it once to someone and they blew it up but it was named amber just as a little friend who was there with me. part of your life. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So uh, with the knee brace, like a week into your BYU career, you have a 38-dig game against Ohio State. That was was a really fun game. Um, Do you keep track of those things in the moment between sets? Is it just after you go, oh, yeah, or had had you had a bigger number in high? Like, was that a big thing for you, a big number for you? Um, I don't, I don't really, I honestly don't know. I don't keep track in high school. I bet my parent, my dad did because he's a pageant mom, but, or I don't know when I came into, I think it was, I didn't think of it as a big deal, but then the coaches were really excited for me, but I never really remember. I just remember it being really wanting to win that game. Mm. And I was probably had really bad form when I got those bigs. They probably weren't the prettiest, but I just really wanted to win. And so it was a really good team win so numbers are not as well they wouldn't be as as important to you as the team results obviously so you're not a big stat person in terms of landmarks milestones you just like this go win no and i think that if i were to some people can handle it but if i were to focus on stats it would do the opposite so your freshman year ends up uh, with byu's third consecutive wcc championship they won two in a row before you uh ncaa tournament and then you got texas in the sweet 16 right yeah, goodness. What are your uh, recollections of that? You guys were down two zip on the road, weren't you? Yeah, we were down two zip. We came back um, to a fifth set. We had match point like 13 to 13. I mean, 14 to 13 or 14 to 12, two match points. And then the balls just didn't fall our way. And we lost. I just remember being really emotional because I knew that the teams before me had gotten to the Sweet 16 and I wanted to get passed it for them and it didn't happen and it was a good learning experience but I was really mad I don't think my teammates have ever seen me more emotional after a loss but getting past the sweet 16 would come and we'll get to that Uh, you ended up uh, as a WCC uh, all-freshman on the all-freshman team and you were off and running Uh, what's the primary or prevalent recollection of your freshman season kind of uh, recap what's the thing that comes to you most in terms of word association with that year wide-eyed dough (laughs) i just remember being like oh my goodness this is playing in college i can't believe this is actually happening it feels like high school but just really fast and i remember being i had came in with mckenna miller on the team and we had some great senior leadership amy boswell whitney young howard just others that were rocks and i just remember being it's interesting because as a freshman the volleyball program it feels different now that I'm older and now I know that I know it more and so just the process of getting to know what I was doing and what I was in was so different than now that I'm kind of in a group of things I was gonna get to this later but I'll bring it up now before the break you mentioned McKenna uh she's going through her own ACL rehab how much of a help uh do you hope to have been to her in relating to her what you went through you know I try not to tell her that I know what she's going through because that was the most frustrating thing for me when I went through my ACL because even if it's the same injury everyone's different yeah and you have no idea like she's a hitter I don't know exactly what she's going through but I would tell her like 
the one thing I know is that you're going to get through it and that there'll be a point in your future where you forget that you tore your ACL because I forget about it until I talk about it in (laughs) situations like this. But the one thing I tell her is that you'll be fine and I have 100% confidence that it'll work out for you. And so I don't think of her ACL tear as this like big traumatic thing because I know that it'll all be all right and it's not this big monster that people make it out to be. Okay. Break time on Behind the Mic. When we return, Mary Lake's uh, Cougar career continues with a stellar sophomore season and more postseason success for BYU. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel on BYU Radio. We are brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. We're back with more right after this. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. I'm visiting with uh, BYU Women's Volleyball All-American Mary Lake. Mary and the Cougs just recently completed a 31-2 and season that ended in the Final Four. Her senior season awaits. Going back to your sophomore campaign now, how nice was it to enter the season healthy and not worrying about um, having to rehab something serious again before the year? Yeah, it was really nice. It was just a different experience because I had my freshman year under your belt, my belt, and freshman year is always kind of this weird, you're in limbo. I look back and it feels like I was in Twilight Zone or something, but it was nice knowing what I was getting into and knowing my knee was healthy and that I was functioning at 100%. And so, yeah, I was excited for sophomore season. When you committed, thinking back here, would you have committed to Sean? I did. Yeah, you committed to Sean. Sean, And then by the time you got here, it was Heather. Is that right? Yes. Timing-wise? Yes. I remember the change, and I remember going to my dad being a little like, oh, that's kind of freaky, you know? Like, a normal person would be freaked out. And my dad was like, no, this is a great thing. We're going to love Heather. You're going to love Heather. So my dad was like, she is – my dad saw how great of a coach she was before she was. And so – Did you get to meet her during the recruiting process? Yeah, she actually was the one who saw me a lot, which was nice. Sean, More than Sean, maybe? Yeah, because usually in the recruiting world, assistants go and they interact with the players. And so I had interacted with her a lot, and I knew that she liked me. I had talked to her a couple times. And so it wasn't this big, freaky stranger who Mm -hmm. was going to be my new coach. How do you describe playing for Heather Olmstead? Playing for Heather is paying attention to detail and playing for a program that creates excellence and creates something beautiful. So just thinking back to freshman year, as a freshman, you're like, oh, my gosh, they're making all these changes. And I don't feel like I'm playing myself because I'm in college and I'm learning things that are different. And now I'm just so grateful that she made those changes and that Mm. they demand, not demand, but that they expect something great. And I wish I had bought in more and that She's just really one – if you even talk to her, she thinks about volleyball all the time, and she thinks about us all the time, and it really shows. An amazing background, uh, certainly at the top of her profession. Uh, How – what would you say – you were already a really accomplished player coming in. Where have you improved the most as a player from an accomplished high schooler to now three years in in college? I think that our team does a really good job at the mental side of volleyball, and so mentally I kind of have myself – figure it out, knowing what works and knowing myself and my own brain and what to expect when I enter into competitions. Uh, Definitely technical things. Like I look at my form back when I was younger and I was like, wow, I was a feisty little player, but man, my technique was horrible. (laughs) So that's one thing that I'm proud of is those hours of, oh my gosh, my, what am I doing right now? This is so difficult. It actually is paying off and I still have a lot longer to go before I'm where I want to be, but it's cool just to see some growth. Does libero compare to anything else, any other position in a different sport? Can you equate it to something that um, that has maybe a similar um, either responsibility or uh, design? Um, I always, me and some of the soccer players talk about just the goalie position and your main focus is defense and you're kind of in charge of the defense, if that makes sense. And so there's nothing – I don't really know sports It's a, really it's well. a combination of, of, of keeper and quarterback, basically. Yeah, and yeah. I honestly – I am one of the least sporty people I know. <laughs> I, like, I like watching sports, but I don't really know anything. But goalie would be probably the one that I find similar to my position. Okay. All right. Uh, sophomore year. Uh, you were coming off a 29-4 and four freshman campaign. You guys go 30-3. and three. 
your sophomore year, so one more win and one less loss. And uh, so one game better, if you will, and another WCC title. Great. And then back to the NCAA tournament. Again, great. And again, Sweet 16. Uh, it was American in the first round, was it, before Oregon? Then Kentucky? Yes. Yeah. American, Oregon, then Kentucky. Then Kentucky. Okay. Uh, so sophomore season, how do you sum that one up? Sophomore season. Wide-eyed doe was your, was your freshman wrap-up. Yeah, yeah. Sophomore season was excitement. I don't know. A little bit of immaturity. Because I wasn't as shocked, but I was still, I look back and I'm like, wow, I was so young and inexperienced. But it was an exciting feeling and it was more familiar. I knew my girls more because I'd been around them longer. I knew my impact was on the team. I knew how to lead better in my position. And so I was excited. Excitement. Libero is almost like a natural, well, you hope that, 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 that there's a good leader in that spot. Um, do you feel a certain leadership responsibility in the position itself? And did it come naturally to you, um, you know, th- th- that part of the game? Yeah, definitely. You have to be able to, like, grab the bull of serve, receive, and defense by the horns and know how to have good chemistry and communication with the girls who are also on the back line. And that's one thing that I'm really grateful for this last year that I had was I was so solid with all those girls, Sydney Martindale, Riley Lyman, Danelle, who, anyone who was back there, I was mm-hmm. solid with, and I knew they had my back. But definitely, I'm a louder person, and I like talking to people. And You're exuberant. <laughs> Gosh, that's like a nice word for obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> but I think well, that's one thing that I knew what I would be good in a role in. And there are different types of leadership, and some of them I'm not very good at, but I know that I'll always be loud and communicating on the court. Did you think uh, think things were set up for a big 2018? Um, I think that every year the coaches find a way to get things set up well. And everyone thought that this was going to be a magical year. And I kind of am angry that we <laughs> that we prove them right. But I'm angry because every year that our coaches have any a part of, they figure out how to win. And so, yeah, it was great because our seniors were incredible and these group of girls was really tight-knit but a part of me is kind of like oh I'm I'm mad that people were hyping us up this much because it just kind of we don't like to talk about any of that stuff you didn't like to talk about the streak as the streak got longer and longer and it did get to 27 and 0 it's just the fact you guys were not losing at any point until the final game of the regular season by that point you had lost McKenna but you kind of recovered you were doing all right um did you did you almost need Ellen now, people always talk about this, how teams on long winning streaks could use a loss. You know, at some point it would help them. How do you look back on the LMU game in terms of how it played into the whole big picture? You know, I think about that game and I don't ever really put a label on it like we needed that or that was fate. But because I don't know if we needed that and it definitely woke us up. But you never know. I just think that somehow things tend to work out when you work hard. And so our team works really hard, and if that meant that LMU was a needed loss because it meant we would get woken up a little bit, so be it. If it meant that we just had a bad game and potentially didn't need to lose that match, that's okay because it's in the past, and that's how we approached it. We weren't second-guessing. We weren't freaking out. We weren't glorifying a loss. We were just going to play more volleyball. Okay, and more volleyball meant NCAA tournament again, and... How great was it to know that if you kept winning, you'd be in the field house for a couple of weeks? Oh, my goodness. That was so exciting because none of us, we all of our team, we always not degrade ourselves, but we just weren't we weren't expecting to be in the top four because I feel like we try to not be entitled to those things. But when it happened, it was so exciting. And the Smith Fieldhouse is so special. And I was just really happy for the seniors that we could play there as much as we possibly could. First weekend, Stony Brook and Utah. Beating Utah, always good. Uh, next weekend, Florida and Texas at your place. Can you sense when you're playing a team, let's say both Florida and Texas, can you get a sense in their eyes before a match compared to after a match in terms of what they know or don't know they're in for in the Smithfield house? Yeah, a lot of teams come in and they're like, oh, we're going to, it's just this little team from Utah. Like people don't even know Utah's a state, you know? And then they come and they feel the power of it, and it is powerful. And you can tell that they're like, oh, my gosh, this is something different than we've ever experienced. And definitely experienced teams have been in loud arenas, but 
BYU is not just a loud arena. It's different. And so, yeah, you can see it a little bit, just the shock. That you've done a decent job kind of getting into it already in terms of how you describe a Smithfield House crowd when it's standing room only and it's hot and it's a Friday night and things are on the line. How do you describe it? I describe it that it's so loud that it's quiet. That there's so much uniform noise going on in the Smithfield house that there's no noise, if that makes sense. So sometimes I look around and I'm like, oh, it feels quiet because it's so loud and it makes me emotional thinking about <laughs> just back to Texas or that Utah game or any any time that we're in the Smithfield house, even if it's not for the NCAA tournament. It's just a different – it's a magical feeling. How important was Cougar Nation or the fans in the building to that run you guys made? They've been important since the beginning of the season. Um, after we had our win against Stanford, my coach came in and said, you guys need to personally thank all those freshmen that were in the crowd because they were the difference. And I did. I went on my Instagram and I said, thanks, guys, just because our fans are different than anywhere in the nation. And I know that every school probably says that, but I really believe it. And they have just – this season they made – playing fun and then we felt so supported and so empowered if that's a weird word to say by the environment that was in the Smithfield house. Stanford got BYU back in the final four and advanced to the national title game. BYU ends up going 31 and 2, so another one game improvement from your freshman to your sophomore to your junior season, which now sets you up for if you can believe it your final year of BYU women's volleyball. Um, how hard is the work right now? What's going into next year? And uh, how excited are you about uh, having one more year to go here? I don't know if excited would be the right word because I think about it and I get emotional. I was getting emotional after my junior season because I'm just an emotional person. But it's crazy. I feel like I haven't even blinked. And, and you're thinking about it already being over? No? Yeah. yeah. And, I'm, and it's, I'm less than a year. And I think the work that we're putting in is just figuring out who we are as a team and understanding who we are without any external expectations or without we just want to know who we are and whether that's finding our leadership roles or getting better at our skill like that's a part of all of it I want to get better for my team I want to lead better for my team because it's just about playing good volleyball and whatever the record is it doesn't matter whatever titles come from it doesn't matter it's just about let's see how good this team can be well you are so good I love watching you play I, I just you. get a kick out of it. Uh, tremendous. And I've been uh, so glad that uh, you were able to make it in here tonight and so that I could have you behind the mic for a half hour. And you've got a place, you've got somewhere to go, so we'll let you run. Yeah. But thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. All right. Thanks, Mary. My guest has been uh, BYU Women's Volleyball All-American, Mary Lake. When Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel continues, it's a conversation with former BYU and NBA hoopster Fred Roberts here on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, and the BYU Radio app. Back with Fred next. Welcome back to Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Here's your host, Greg Rubel. We are back on Behind the Mic, and it is time now for our Catching Up with the Cougars segment, brought to you by BYU alumni. Want to help BYU students but don't know how? You can with BYU alumni chapters. Find the chapter that fits you at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. And tonight, it's a conversation with former BYU and professional hoopster Fred Roberts, who was an integral part of the last BYU team to advance as far as the Elite Eight in 1981. Playing alongside Danny Ainge for three seasons, Fred was a double-digit career scorer and first, second, or third in BYU team scoring in all four of his seasons, the last two of which ended with all-whack first-team honors. All four of his campaigns ended in the postseason with one NIT and three NCAA tournament berths, including BYU's run to the regional finals in 1981. After leaving BYU, Fred played professional basketball for the next 15 seasons, among which were two for the Utah Jazz and two for the Boston Celtics, but his most sustained success came with the Milwaukee Bucks. As a retired player, Fred has since entered the world of education. He's in his second decade now as a local educator and administrator. And it is a pleasure to welcome in Fred Roberts behind the mic here on BYU Radio. Hello, Fred. Hi, Greg. Thanks very much. Good to have you here. Uh, you were born in Provo, but uh, when did the family move uh, to the south end of the Salt Lake Valley? My intern, Blake, has his Bingham High shirt on there, and I hope that resonates with you a little bit. <laughs> That's right. I, I knew his dad really well. We were the same year in high school, and he was our team manager. 
And if Blake is anything like his dad, he's a good, good man. He's a good, he is a good, he's a good intern, one of the best. So you guys moved, uh, went, went about in your life? Well, my, my parents, uh, my dad finished school here at the Y. He uh, graduated in civil engineering, and we took a job at uh, Hercules, and that's when we moved. I believe I would have been three or four, moved out there, and we were in uh, Riverton all through my growing up years. Uh, and then, you know, they're still my, – my dad's still living. He's in Murray now, but uh, we've got a couple of brothers, a brother and a sister who live in the south end of the Salt Lake Valley. Were there six brothers total? Six boys, one girl. Okay. And where did she fall in the mix there? She was number one. Okay. <laughs> which was not a good uh, – not a good draw for her. <laughs> that six younger brothers. <laughs> six younger brothers who were not very well uh, mannered, and just we were pretty rough. But she was, she tolerated us mostly. She mostly went to her. She did get her own room and was able to just took aspirin and went up there, closed the door, and ignored, <laughs> pretending we weren't around. You played for Bingham High School, uh, with whom you won state titles in both your junior and senior years. You were state player of the year in your junior and senior years. Can you bring us back to the recruiting process at that time for you? Yeah, for me, it was uh, my brother Glenn was playing here at the Y, and I'd always wanted to play with him. He was our, the oldest boy, and I uh, idolized him growing up. And, uh, you know, most people didn't care to wear their brother's clothes, but I was always <laughs> happy to get his hand-me-downs. Um, and so that was kind of something that I wanted to do was to play with him, but I'd still – I've. You know, I, I looked at a few schools, looked at the U, and looked at a couple other schools, but mainly I, I think I was pretty well committed to BYU from the beginning, and um, I think they probably knew that. And, and it was exciting also. I, I knew – I felt – well, I was hoping Devin would come here, mm-hmm. and then to know that Steve Trumbull was here, coming here as well, and I was excited about our freshman class coming in. And, and, then, da- and Danny, Danny was Ainge. already here. Yeah, yeah. Danny Ainge. And one of, my, my, one of my great regrets is Danny would send me poems. Uh, <laughs> he sent me about one a month, a poem a month, uh, part of the recruiting process, and I, I just have great regrets of not saving those poems. <laughs> These are things he wrote? The, he is quite a poet. Yeah, he, he wrote those poems. and uh, So he was recruiting as well as the coaches were apparently at that point. Danny was. I think he wanted to, he, he saw a chance to get some big guys on the court, and uh, he, he wanted to have a good team. Did you get some international experience before your BYU career began? Or was it around the same time? Had you already played the year before you started playing? Because you had some international experience with some junior Team USAs or something, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I uh, played in 19... 19- what year was that? Anyway, we played in the Junior World Championships. I think that's what they called it in Brazil. We won a gold medal down there. That was a. That was after my freshman year. After I your believe. freshman year, I think okay. it was after my freshman year, we went down. We had. That was a team that uh, I'll remember is one of the best teams I played on with James Worthy, Lafayette Lever, uh, Sleepy Floyd, uh, a couple other guys that uh, I, I'll remember if I. If I thought about it, but boy, that was a team we had. It, we went down and we just we stomped on some people. Did you get to keep some red, white, and blue mementos from that time? Do you still have? I, yeah, I do. Yeah, we've got the uh, medal. I got a uh, jerseys. Yeah, that, that was a good. I I really feel fortunate and grateful that I was able to have actually three international teams uh, I played on. I played a world university team, and then a team that we took over uh, to. We went over to China. Actually, Frank Arnold and Devin were both on that team. Which it was just, that was just exhibition in China, but I'll never forget. Hmm. It was a very different place then than it is now. Back then, it was you'd, the airplane landed, a dump truck pulled up to the airplane, they threw your bags in the dump truck, they took a bus over to the terminal, and they dumped <laughs> dumped your bags out of the dump <laughs> truck. And you got and Devin's in the uh, terminal passing out books of Mormon, and uh, Frank Arnold's having a fit because he thinks we're all going to get thrown in jail. <laughs> For proselyting in China. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, BYU was was 12-18 and 18 the season before you arrived. People forget Danny Ainge's freshman year was on a team with a losing record that year. Uh, but Danny had a really good freshman year setting it up for your freshman year, his sophomore. Uh, what were your expectations in your freshman year at BYU that you recall having? Well, I just – I came from a school. I just felt like we were going to win. I don't uh... – and knowing Danny was there, Danny having the bringing the excitement factor in, um, I, I just felt like we could get there and we'd win games. I knew Devin could, was a great player. Um, I felt like I could hold my own and and 
you know it, it was the whack was really strong back then but and may still be but um, and you got to I, play that one season with Glenn, right? With played your brother? one season with yeah. Glenn. Yeah. It was actually it was pretty frustrating for Glenn because he'd play. He'd started the year before. He and Keith Rice had both started the year before. Devin and I came in, and their minutes went completely zero. You know, and that, that was tough on them. And you were starting every game. Starting every game, and uh, had a good year. I um, I liked BYU. Chances. I, I do remember that going to BYU. I knew I wouldn't get stuck in the post position, the center spot, and for me to extend my career, I knew I had to get out on the floor and be a runner. And I knew at BYU with Frank and the Danny style that we were going to run. And uh, I looked forward to that, and I really believe that was one of the things that extended my career in the NBA is because mm. of a big guy who could run. That first season got you to the NCAA's, lost to San Francisco. That's right. In your first game, right? And that was back yep. when you would actually get a bye to the second. So it was technically a second-round game, but your first game, and it was yeah. USF. Yeah, and they, they put a whooping on us. Um, I'll never forget this kid, they, this guy Williams. I, he six foot eight point guard, and he'd just drive in there and get lost. He'd throw the ball up the, toward the basket, and Jameson, I believe, I don't remember his first name, but he'd come flying, just jump from anywhere <laughs> and grab the ball and dunk it. And, uh, and then they had Bill Cartwright, but uh, gosh, they just – steamrolled this I, that's i do remember that bill cartwright was in was in the building saturday night so i was just at san francisco for the game on the weekend and and there was bill sitting on the baseline is he still looking good is yeah he, still I mean, he looks good he looks he look, i mean he's got to put on a few pounds yeah. but yeah you still <laughs> well, know that, he was that, always that's a bill big cartwright guy. yeah big uh, guy yeah he busted my face once yeah, he put me uh, <laughs> un- unintentionally well with bill yeah i think it was okay. of course it was yeah. unintentional but boy he had some elbows and he put me i busted uh my Zygomatic arch, I guess, what they call it. Yikes! Uh, you you scored fourteen a game in your freshman year. Your second year, uh, you scored thirteen a game, and and Devin and Danny were still there. Another NCAA tournament appearance in your sophomore year, and that was now Clemson in your first NCAA game. Recollections of that? Yeah, again, we we felt like we came in there. We had a great season with uh, playing against good teams in the WAC. Uh, we just these teams like Clemson and even San Francisco. We Nobody expected them to be, I think, what they were, and they didn't go much further than us. But when they came in, boy, they were hot. And they were Clemson. They had they started six foot eleven, six foot ten, six foot ten. Larry Nance and uh, I don't really remember their guard line, but they these this these were teams that, that could really get after us. We felt like we would get a better buy for our first game, but uh, not, that was not the case. In your junior year, where you make the run. Danny's now the leading scorer. Uh, you're at 19 points a game right behind him. Steve Trumbo is a double-digit scorer. And then Greg Kite, who had a smaller role the year before, now occupies a larger role. And this is the team that takes it all the way to Virginia and the Elite Eight. Uh, the story of that team has been really well told. But as you look back on that year, what maybe doesn't get said enough or talked about enough when people talk about the Elite Eight team at BYU? What, what resonates most with you? Oh, I feel like... Uh... I, again, I, that year, there were three great teams coming out of the WAC, Utah with Chambers and Brains and Mannion. Wyoming had Bradley, uh, Bill Garnett, and these guys, gosh, I think, well, Mannion wasn't a first-rounder, but all those other guys were first-rounders, top-ten picks. And then Danny would have been a, for sure a top-ten pick had he gone right to uh, basketball rather than baseball. Uh, and just going into that, we we kind of came in – Maybe we came in like the dark horses like Clemson or San Francisco the two years before. People didn't expect much of us. We went back east, and uh, so we had kind of a deeper seed. Um, but we just we got hot, and uh, we it was a little bit unexpected because our first game, Danny had the bad back, and we he couldn't practice. He, hmm. We didn't know if he was going to play. The Princeton game? The Princeton game and the— uh, UCLA game after that. Okay. I think he was, yeah, UCLA game. Princeton-UCLA, yeah. yeah, that first game. Okay, I think he felt better in that uh, UCLA game. But the Princeton game, we didn't expect him to play. He hmm. he was laid up in his bed. The doctors were checking on him. And uh, you know, I don't know they, what they did, but we, he was able to get out on the floor and kind of get loosened up and play. And then that got him going for that UCLA game. And I think he just saw Danny, you know, he's an opportunist. And he saw that this is chance to really get out there, and let, he had nothing to lose. He knew he was going to go play baseball, 
<laughs> and so he just let it go. <laughs> we just, I remember Kite, Trumbo, and I, we, we'd uh, go in there and we'd get the rebound. We'd just throw it to half court and he'd run down and he'd either take it in for the layup or pull up and shoot what would have been a three pointer uh, at the time. But he was just letting it fly and just playing with reckless abandon like he does at times. Um, and I think that was the biggest thing for him is he had he, he was a great player and in those games he had nothing to lose and we got hot. We matched up well with UCLA. I remember them talking about how they were going to run us big, uh, slow white guys out of the gym <laughs> and uh, t- they never caught up with us. The three-point line didn't exist uh, for, for Danny or for you for that matter. If that had been around, how much, uh, how many of those would he have been taking and how about even yourself? Well, I think we would have all practice more at it and Danny um, we may have we would for sure have seen the ball quite a bit less uh, if that three point <laughs> line was out there um, never uh, Kevin McKell it would have been more like this I remember Kevin McKell one day in practice they, uh, Casey Jones was saying Kevin you got to go down there and set that pick and uh, Kevin said why would I want to go set the pick down there? So he goes out there and shoots a three-pointer when I can just post up and score on anybody I want. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and I think that would have been the case uh, just the opposite with in college. Danny would have said, you know, I don't see why I – if those guys want the ball, they can go get it. I'm gonna, These three-pointers, they feel pretty good to me. In Atlanta, you guys met up with Notre Dame, and at that time they were a six and – no, you were a six, they were the two – Obviously, and we all know the outcome and how Danny wins it at the end. And then, uh, did you feel well? How, how did you feel at the next draw? Because you got Virginia a- after the Notre Dame, you know, kind of miracle finish. What were you thinking about the the, the next opponent there? Well, I felt, you know, they had Ralph's, yeah. and, and at the time, Ralph was pretty intimidating, dominating. I mean, I'll never forget walking in the gym and I, th- I think we had shoot around after them or something I looked down at the end of the court and I see this guy I've never seen anybody as long and uh, tall as he he was uh, and it was quite a sight to see him down the end of the court take up the whole end of the court and that was just shoot around but we felt like we had a good chance we were playing really well everybody was confident Danny was uh, at top of his game we felt like we could even with we didn't have any like Ralph Sampson, but we felt we, Trumbull, Kite, and I, we could put the squeeze on him. And I think we did a pretty good job until they had a couple guys get hot and hit big shots, and then Ralph turned it around. The big tip that he had that everybody was wondering if it was goaltending because he kind of put his hand on the backboard mm-hmm. and grabbed the rim and he tipped it in on the other side. That was a big turning point of, of that game. Uh, it just sucked the momentum right out of us. But, uh, you know, it, I I don't know. It, when you're in it, Greg, and when we were in it, I don't know if we understood how close we were hmm. uh, just because we'd never been there before. And maybe that's what they mean when they talk about people have never – you've never been there, so you don't know what to expect. And we didn't. We didn't – I don't think we really understood we were that close. And if we had done a few more things, which I believe we could have done, we matched up with those guys hmm. – you know, we get into the Final Four, and how much fun would that have been? What was your perspective on Danny's uh, coast-to-coast uh, make, by the way? Well, um, my perspective is this. I, first of all, I would fouled out, so, of course, I didn't get to enjoy the the whole ex- – except I was right even with him. At his him, end. Right yeah, there. Right, yeah. Yeah. He was right in front of me. What I remember especially is about five plays before that, maybe six plays, somewhere cl- close before that – Danny came in. For, it wasn't the coast to coast, but he went in and shot the exact same shot. Orlando Woolridge went up and he blocked the shot. They called time. I mean, they called goaltending on Woolridge. And so when Danny comes in this last time and he goes does a coast to coast, Woolridge is in the same position and takes a swing same again. Same shot, and he goes out there, but he kind of. He, oh, was tentative. Okay. he was tentative about that. I, I mean, so in my mind, he was. He just kind of short armed it a little bit. Hmm. You know, I mean, and who wouldn't? Because he doesn't, doesn't want to get into goaltending and cost a huh. game with a goaltending. But I feel like uh, that was on his mind at the time, and that Danny oh. was he was able to get that shot off and great shot. You know, it's one of those plays where 
today you can still watch it and feel the excitement and feel what the great what a great play it was. I I was a teammate with John Paxson, who was guarding Danny, mm. and we still keep in touch. And <laughs> it's not a good memory for him. <laughs> and Trapuca is definitely not a good memory. But um, they just played us completely wrong. They, Danny should have never had that run. All they had to do was keep him in front, and he doesn't get with the athleticism that he has, wasn't able to make those moves and get to the rim like that. But how ex- it was so exciting. It was so much fun to be there and to be winners. We walked down the street. I remember walking down the streets of Atlanta and people, there are those white boys that beat those, <laughs> the Notre Dame team. There they are. <laughs> Time for a short break. When we come back, the professional and post-basketball career of Fred Roberts. That's next. Is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel continues. We are brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Back with Fred here on BYU Radio. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Back on Behind the Mic, visiting with former BYU basketball player Fred Roberts. So once your BYU career concluded, Fred, you were a second-round NBA draft pick of the Milwaukee Bucks, but you decided to start your pro career overseas. What was the decision process then? Well, I had uh, I didn't have a strong senior year. Our t- uh, we didn't have a good year as a team, and I felt I was... Uh, very mediocre, I felt, in my my seniors, disappointing and still frustrated over that, at, uh, even at my age. But uh, So I was drafted uh, by Milwaukee. Uh, Don Nelson was a the coach there. He drafted me. I went back to a uh, – he held a camp in Nashua, New Hampshire, where he had his draft picks come in. It was a, it was a, uh, a youth camp, but he had us working with the youth, and uh, I, he drove me home from the gym the one night. <laughs> He looked over at me. He was driving the car and looked over at me, and he said, I don't know why I drafted you. I don't want you. <laughs> and I whoa, man, it's not good. And so I had an offer in Italy, and I, after he said that, I thought, I, don't know I, why I, I, think, I, I think I need to take that offer. Okay. So I went to Italy, and I actually I, – I wish I had stayed, but I don't think Italy hurt me because um, going back there, I played for a, a nut – who just had us run? I, he didn't know how to coach, so he just <laughs> ran us. You know, and I think it built up a lot of um, my running skills. And when I was able to come back to the league, and, and the best game I ever I have ever played was our first game over there. We played an exhibition game against uh, uh, a bunch of NBA guys who were touring Europe, uh, and I just went crazy. I, my 43 points against these guys, and Stan Albeck was actually the coach of that team, and I, that's you got traded for him, and I got traded for him <laughs> for a coach. I did, and I think that ha- it's because of that game. He saw what happened in that game, and you know, I had the great game that I had. Um, they first, I was first traded to uh, New Jersey, and then New Jersey traded me as partial compensation for a uh, Stan Albeck. And, yeah. And so I got my start in San Antonio, which was a really good place. I, I liked it a lot. I liked the guys on the team. Um, and then as I, you know, big story, but as I come around all the way to the back end, I end up in Dallas. With? With uh, Don Nelson. The well, he, he did, yeah. Don didn't start there. But he uh, he comes in after the All-Star break. And he makes that big giant trade with part of, part of the trade with Sean Bradley, brings in seven New Jersey guys. And uh, <laughs> and so Don, getting ready. it was February 14th, 1997, I, I remember because it's Valentine's Day. Yeah. I'm in the locker room, and the trainer comes in and says, Fred, telephone. Well, I've never had a t- telephone call in the locker room. I go pick up the phone, and Don Nelson, Fred, this is Don Nelson. We're going to let you go. <laughs> Uh, I don't know why I had. I don't, yeah, the oh, yeah, same guy that said I don't know why. I had, guy, yeah, yep. And about uh, three or four years ago, he still goes back. I went back to Milwaukee, and we were. I saw him in the uh, in the restaurant, and I went over and I said, "Don Nelson, the guy who cut me twice." <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, "Yeah, sorry." I said, "Yeah, sorry. That's not going to work now." <laughs> you had uh, upwards of fifteen years as a pro. 
and and I you know, I, I shouldn't give short shrift, but it was Spurs trade to Jazz, Jazz trade to Celtics to Milwaukee, where you had five great years, some more overseas time. Um, back with the Cavs, Lakers, Mavs to end things out. When did you know for you that it was time to move on to the next phase of your life? Well, I'd, I'd, just, I'd play now if I could. <laughs> you know. But when I, I, I just felt like when I got cut that last time with Nelson, the next year was a strike year. And so they, uh, we didn't start up until, what, January, February. And I just didn't see a chance for me to get back into it. Uh, and that was a pretty hard that was a hard time for me. I didn't think it would be. I'd always expect. I felt like if I played five years, I'd be lucky, and I was hopeful about that. But I just, I loved playing so much. I loved being in the locker room. Loved the guys. I loved just the competition itself. And to not have that anymore was oh, it was a, a great challenge. But I did have an opportunity. I was in Milwaukee, and they let me uh, do scouting for them, and I uh, scouted for them for a couple of years which was great. And then we had to make the decision, we said, well, are we going to stay here? Are we going to move back to Utah? And we felt like we had a good opportunity to come back to Utah, and, we, and that's we'd come back here. And then I, I got into the education. I, I could have spent a whole extra show on just your pro years, and I'm at the end of the hour, and I have 60 seconds left for you to tell me about how fulfilling <laughs> well, that up, Greg. life as an educator has been for you since you've been back. You know, it's it's been a challenge. I... Um, I enjoy working with the kids. It's so much fun to see these kids develop. But they're not, as sixth graders, they're not really interested in, at that time, in understanding what they have to do. They're more social. But it's it's been a lot of fun. It, I've learned a lot. Uh, I've been grateful for the opportunity to be in, in the classroom, be a teacher, be, to have a job. When I came back, you know, <laughs> the worst job I ever had was no job. And so I was really grateful to have that job, and it's been, I, I'm glad to still be able to do that. I'm glad you came in tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for All having right. me. My interview with Fred Roberts was tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. BYU Alumni chapters help students in need and spread the influence of the Y around the world. Stay connected for good and find the chapter at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Back to wrap up tonight's show right after this. That's another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on this Wednesday, January 23rd. My thanks to my guests, BYU women's volleyball standout Mary Lake and former BYU basketball player Fred Roberts. Among my guests on next week's show will be BYU women's track and field star Erica Burke-Jarvis. My thanks tonight to coordinating producer Terry South and broadcast intern Blake McMullen. For Terry and Blake and my guests, my name is Greg Rubel, and I thank you for joining me Behind the Mic here on BYU Radio. Until next Wednesday, good night and go Cougars. You have been listening to Behind the Mic with the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Listen to the podcast at byuradio.org.